Hey guys, so glad you're here for this Betfolio Voice episode, sponsored in part by Zoetis and featuring Dr. David Dykus. The topic of our discussion was canine osteoarthritis, and y'all, he was awesome to talk to. You could tell this was somebody who discussed osteoarthritis with pet owners on a regular basis. I love all things osteoarthritis, so this talk was really fun. We touched on early detection, including the fact that osteoarthritis may be more prevalent than we thought, prevention and management of this condition, and client communication since pet owners are such an integral part of managing osteoarthritis. And like I said, my guest, Dr. David Dykus, was great. Dr. Dykus attended Mississippi State University's College of Veterinary Medicine for his veterinary degree, Auburn University for a small animal rotating internship, and Mississippi State for combined surgical residency and master's degree. He's frequently asked to lecture locally, nationally, and internationally, along with publishing numerous research articles and authoring and co-authoring several book chapters. He's the co-editor of the textbook, Complications in Canine Cruciate Ligament Surgery. He's on faculty for AO, an organization whose name I will not even attempt to pronounce without significant coaching, but who Wikipedia tells me is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the care of people with musculoskeletal injuries. And he's also an orthopedic consultant for VIN. Along with being a scientific reviewer for multiple journals, he serves on the editorial review board and is the associate editor for orthopedics for veterinary surgery. Currently, Dr. Dykus is on the board of trustees for the American College of Veterinary Surgeons and is a council member for the Association of Veterinary Orthopedic Research and Education. Dr. Dykus became a certified canine rehabilitation practitioner through the University of Tennessee in 2015. He's the Director and Chief of Orthopedic Surgery at Nexus Veterinary Bone and Joint Center, where he focuses on total joint replacement, complex and minimally invasive fracture repair, as well as angular limb deformity correction, 3D implant printing, and arthroscopy. In addition, he's the Medical Director for Nexus Veterinary Specialist, located in Baltimore, Maryland, and he's the founder and co-director of the Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation Institute, an online veterinary rehabilitation learning platform. On an unrelated note, should I be doing more with my career? I mean, it's no wonder he's such a wealth of information. Let's go ahead and jump into this episode. All right, I'm joined by Dr. David Dykus today to talk about one of my favorite subjects, osteoarthritis. So Dr. Dykus, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for inviting me. I've been so looking forward to getting to chat with you. Yes, same here. So we're talking about osteoarthritis. How prevalent is osteoarthritis in the canine population? And why is it important that veterinarians and owners recognize it at its earliest stage? So osteoarthritis is a very prevalent disease. In fact, about one in five adult dogs in the United States have been said to be affected with osteoarthritis. I would actually say in reality, it may be close to like 80% of dogs over the age of six that could have some form of, of osteoarthritis. Many owners, pet owners, and, and even some veterinarians have this mentality that osteoarthritis is really just an old dog disease. And so it's really not on the radar until dogs get older. 
But in reality, osteoarthritis is an any age dog disease because at least in the canine, it's commonly secondary to something else. And that something else tends to be a developmental orthopedic disease. And so while owners don't necessarily want to think about osteoarthritis in their younger dogs, I think what we really need to do as a veterinary profession is really start taking a more proactive approach to recognition and management rather than our commonly uh, noted retroactive approach. And so it is a prevalent issue. And what compounds this issue is many dogs are overweight. Um, about 60% adult dogs in the United States are currently considered overweight or obese. And that simply puts more weight on the joints, which, which makes this issue sometimes worse. And so osteoarthritis is prevalent enough that it's the number one cause of chronic pain in dogs in the United States. So this is definitely something we need to talk about. It's definitely something we need to hopefully try to get under control if we can. And a lot of the things that you're mentioning, you know, recognizing this early and things like weight loss and stuff like that, those are things that really need a team effort from the owner. So what are some of the tools that we can direct owners to and they can use to help determine if their dog may have osteoarthritis pains or, or you know, some of the signs we can tell them to look for at home? So we currently tend to approach things in the form of there's a lameness, there must be a problem. If there's no lameness, there must not be a problem. But in reality, we need to start thinking on more of the subtle basis. And so what I really like is there's this simple to use interactive tool that, that owners can start with. It's the OA checklist, and they can actually find that at oachecklist.com. And so if an owner thinks that something might be off, this checklist is really cool because it has various pictures that they can click on. It's got some sliding scales so they can gauge emotions, some yes, no questions. But at the end, it'll tabulate things and say, you know, your dog could be in pain from osteoarthritis. They can email the report to themselves. They can email the report to their veterinarian, but it arms them with the ability to walk into their veterinarian's office. They can say, hey, my dog's been showing some changes. It could be associated with osteoarthritis. What do you think? And that can open up that dialogue box. But the other thing that I think we as veterinarians can do is start to coach owners on what do they need to be looking for outside of just a lameness. So it's going to be more of those subtle signs. The dog's stiff when they get up. The dog is stiff after heavy play. Maybe after heavy play, they start a little bit of limping, but it goes away. Or they start to notice some of these subtleties in terms of they're out on a walk and the dog's lagging behind them, or maybe they don't want to go as far. They start sitting down more. Maybe they're reluctant to go up the stairs. They're not going up as briskly or, or they don't want to jump up on the furniture. So all of these subtleties can be associated with pain with, with osteoarthritis. The one thing that people tend to forget, and we're going to go back to weight over and over and over again, is going to be weight gain. We don't really think of weight gain associated with pain, but if a dog is painful, they're probably not going to be as active, but they're going to still eat the same, which means that they could slowly put on weight over time. And so if we're starting to see this kind of weight gain over time, or we're starting to see a change in body condition, that could be an outward sign of, of pain as well that we need to take into consideration. Absolutely. And to have owners go and complete this checklist and like you said, kind of open that dialogue 
we need to make sure that we're educating them about the potential for osteoarthritis. So what can we as veterinarians do to teach our clients about osteoarthritis and have them looking for these things before it becomes a problem? So it all starts at the very beginning when they're puppies and, and opening that dialogue that osteoarthritis can affect a dog at any age. And so owners of those at-risk breeds, we love Labradors. It's, it's a popular breed. Our German Shepherds, our Bernese Mountain Dogs, our Rottweilers, all of these breeds that could be at risk for some of our developmental orthopedic diseases, that opens up the opportunity when they're a puppy to start having that conversation. There are some various uh, canine osteoarthritis staging tools that can be incorporated that can help identify some of these. But if the owners will start uh, allowing veterinarians during those visits. So we talk about leash training, we talk about diets, we talk about flea and heartworm prevention. Well, we also need to talk about osteoarthritis. And while owners may not wanna hear about that, if we start bringing that conversation into the mix, we can start thinking about some of the early management strategies, in particular, maintenance of a lean body weight, keeping them fit and trim, but also some form of daily exercise. And socialization, playing in the backyard, going to the dog parks, those are great socialization. That's great playtime. That's not exercise. Exercise is getting the dogs out and taking them on a walk. And so it allows us to have that conversation about leash training, the appropriate way to walk with a dog, and then start at the early stages of incorporating that as just part of the daily uh, activities. And so promotion of, of a lean body weight, daily exercise, and starting that open dialogue and discussion when these dogs are very, very young. Yes. And you're talking to a Labrador person. So absolutely starting it young and, and making sure we're staying on top of it because it can have such a profound impact on their quality of life over time. Can you talk a little bit more about if a dog does have osteoarthritis and is in pain, how that affects their quality of life? So if these dogs are in pain and, and it's getting missed, that's going to lead to this just nasty, downward, vicious cascade of events. So if we have a dog and an owner that love to be active together and the dog's painful or the owner perceives the dog's painful, they're going to be less active. Well, that's going to have a direct effect on the human-animal bond, but also for the dog, being overweight uh, because they're going to start eating the same, but they're not going to be as active. That's going to lead to worsening progression of osteoarthritis. But at the same time, there's this really just uh, toxic environment in the joint. So the cells that make up the cartilage, they're not getting the nutrition they need. The waste products that are being produced, it's not getting evacuated from the joint. So what's going to happen is we're going to lead to this very toxic environment. We're going to see the production of joint fluid. We're going to see the joint capsule becoming distended. We're going to see periarticular fibrosis develop. That's going to lead to a loss of range of motion. And it's a very important to recognize that a loss of range of motion is going to have a direct effect on limb function. So it's so much better to recognize these patients early, get pain under control, or try to prevent them from getting to that point, maintain range of motion because it's so much easier to maintain it than it is to regain it when they're lost. The other big, big component that I think we don't talk too much about is with ongoing pain, that's not only going to lead to pain at the joint, but it's going to start to have a peripheral effect within the central nervous system in this concept of maladaptive pain. 
And talking about maladaptive pain and you know just just overall the effects of chronic pain, we don't want to get to that point. We want to intervene early. So why is it, can you elaborate a little bit more on why it's so important that the pain is recognized and we, that we intervene early? Sure. So our, our previous focus with, with OA management was to wait, there's a lameness and there must be inflammation. So we're going to put them on some kind of a medication. And, and that was typically an NSAID. And we're only going to do it for a short period of time. The lameness goes away. So they must be doing better. We stop the anti-inflammatory and we wait until it comes back and we just sort of repeat over time and over time. But what we need to remember is that osteoarthritis is a chronic progressive disease. So we're not going to be able to treat it and make it go away. We're simply managing it. And we've started to recognize that pain occurs in more than just the way at the joint. And so while in the joint, there's going to be these inflammatory mediators that are going to be released. And that's going to create the pathway not only for pain in the joint, but also for this development of maladaptive pain, in particular, uh, nerve growth factor. This is one of those mediators that gets released that not only contributes to pain and inflammation in the joint, but it also drives these changes in the central nervous system and contributes to the concept of central sensitization, which is essentially an exaggerated pain response that would normally be mildly painful. And so if we ignore identifying early pain or we ignore treating pain consistently, what's going to happen is we're going to contribute to this maladaptive response. What that's going to translate to is later down the road, getting pain under control is going to become more and more challenging, but also that the pain that dog's experiencing is going to get worse and worse. I think that can probably explain why we see initially dogs may respond to an anti-inflammatory. We stop it. Over time, they become less responsive. And then even further down the line, they become so incredibly challenging to get under control that just an anti-inflammatory doesn't work. We're starting to throw all sorts of things in and it really starts to affect the quality of life. Our goal should be to say, can we prevent from getting to that point? Can we change our, our thought process on how we do some of these things? Yes. And I love, like, I love what you talked about with being preventative when it comes to this stuff, you know, kind of that concept of, I heard somebody say it the other day and it really resonated with me. Um, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. <laughs> getting on top of it early. So what does this mean for our NSAID usage? Would, does this mean we should change our thoughts as far as NSAID usage? I think so. I, I think we need to start thinking of this a little differently. And, and rather than getting pain under control and then stopping and ignoring it, I think we need to get pain under control and then tell owners or, or educate owners that because this is a chronic progressive disease process, maybe we need to try to treat chronic pain daily and give the central nervous system a chance to try to recover and maybe minimize that maladaptive pain response. And so maybe it's a better idea to think about long-term daily anti-inflammatory use, of course, under the guidance of a veterinarian with routine monitoring and, and using the, the prescribed dosages. Hopefully we can have a more profound effect than, than sort of this kind of up and down spiral that we sort of uh, currently go through. And this next question has to do with my favorite word when it comes to osteoarthritis management, and that's multimodal. We keep hearing about a multimodal approach to managing osteoarthritis. Why is it important to take that type of approach? Well, 
in general, osteoarthritis is very complex, and we still don't fully understand the pathophysiology of it, but there's lots of different tissues involved. So let's take a, the stomach, for example. There are lots of different cell populations there. They all have their own function, but collectively the stomach functions as a stomach. Well, let's think of the joint like an organ. There's other tissues than just the cartilage. We beat up on the cartilage all the time when we talk about osteoarthritis, but we fail to sometimes think about the synovial lining, the joint capsule, the periarticular fibrosis, the central nervous system, the subchondral bone. All of these play a role. There's certainly a crosstalk amongst all these tissues that play a role in contributing to not only the inflammation, but the pain. Because it's important to remember that cartilage is both avascular and aneural. So none of the pain is actually coming from the articular cartilage. It's coming from those other tissues. And so we see the introduction of, of other things to try to get pain and inflammation under control. One of those that I really love is going to be rehabilitative efforts. So that way we can maintain range of motion, maintain tissue extensibility and flexibility, and also help keep pain under control. There are other oral medications that we can use. There are human pain medications such as amantadine that could be considered. Um, many veterinarians have also started prescribing gabapentin. I think we also need to understand, though, that gabapentin, right now, we don't have any clinical studies that show that gabapentin is effective for the pain associated with osteoarthritis, but I do think it shows that we're starting to recognize that uh, central sensitization and maybe uh, considering the neuropathic pain relief effects of gabapentin. Um, other things that can be considered intraarticular injections to help uh, with pain and inflammation. But the, the biggest thing, um, getting weight under control, getting weight off of them, instituting a daily exercise plan. But we cannot get weight off of dogs and we cannot institute daily exercise plans if they're in pain. We've got to get that under control. If we don't get pain under control, nothing else matters. We're not going to be able to achieve any of our goals that we set out for ourselves in these patients. And as you mentioned, this is a progressive chronic disease. So as the osteoarthritis progresses, are there certain treatments that become more important or that we should focus on more? So we really have never characterized the actual flow of osteoarthritis in, in dogs, but we are going to go into the assumptions it's somewhat similar to people where we can have this ebb and flow concept, meaning we can have periods of, of good times where we know they've got osteoarthritis, but they're not directly affected at that moment versus periods of exacerbations or flare-ups where they've got osteoarthritis and they're affected at that moment. Unfortunately, where we tend to have uh, and see most of these dogs is during those flare-ups. And then we usually treat the flare-up and get it under control and then we stop everything. But in reality, what we want to do is establish a baseline and that's keeping pain under control. So that may incorporate our weight control, our daily exercise. Um, there could be the introduction of various joint supplements, our daily kind of low dose or, or chronic use anti-inflammatories to keep pain under control. Um, coach owners on how to identify a flare-up, a sudden change in activity, or a slow change over time, uh, meaning they start to see these behavioral changes creep in. That could indicate a flare-up. And when we indicate that flare-up, 
we take a step back from the daily exercise and we say, how do we get this under control? Maybe if we're going at a lower dose of an anti-inflammatory, we need to increase that dosage as long as it stays within the recommended range. Maybe we consider an intraarticular injection and then we put them into a formal rehabilitation program. And the goal there is to help get that flare up under control, but maintain range of motion while they can't be as active as we would like them to be. Once we get that flare up under control, then we go right back into sort of that baseline management scenario. Uh, and that way, hopefully we can prolong the life of the joint as long as possible because with osteoarthritis, the end point is failure of the joint. And so if we can keep pain under control, we can keep range of motion and we can keep muscle mass. I think we can hopefully prolong the joint a little bit longer so that these dogs can have a better quality of life. And, and also think about those, those older dogs that come in, they've got osteoarthritis and nobody's really ever done a lot with them. And so they're like these walking tight rubber bands. And so if, if we can just get that pain under control, get them into the hands of a rehabilitation therapist that can really stretch them out. I've seen them become so much more comfortable when they get hands-on and when they get a little TLC to really get that pain under control. So we don't want to just um, kind of throw it under the rug and say, well, they're older. This is sort of what it is. Let's get aggressive and get pain under control and see if we can loosen them up a little bit and, and see if we can get a little more life back in them and improve their quality of life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in bringing up the concept of flare-ups, we've talked several times about early intervention when it comes to these things. Are there things that owners can do at home to help determine if a flare-up might be occurring or beginning to occur so we can intervene as soon as possible? So absolutely. One of the things can, can simply be is, is keeping the mental checklist. You know, this is where your dog's baseline is. Now that may change over time, but if they start to deviate from that baseline, then, uh, then that can indicate a flare up, but people are busy. <laughs> and, and so sometimes keeping that mental journal is, or is tough. And so I say, well, take it a step further, actually create a written journal, you know, get a, get a journal and, and start to look at and think to yourself, okay, was today a good day or a bad day? And, and kind of record some of those behaviors. So if we do think something's changing, we can look back in the journal. Um, there are those out there that, that hate writing. Um, and there are some visual learners out there. And so I like the popsicle stick method. And this is where, you know, if you remember when we were, we were kids, there was the, the red, the green, and the yellow popsicle sticks we can get. And, and we can we can purchase those. We can have three little jars. And each day, if the day was a great day, we put a popsicle stick in there. If the day was uh, an okay day, we can go yellow. And if the day was a bad day, we can go red. If we start to see the yellows and the red popsicles outnumbering the green popsicles, that can certainly indicate that there's a, a flare up going on. And, and that needs to uh, be the little alarm bells that go off that say, I need to call up my veterinarian. We need to get in for a recheck and have them do an, a, an assessment uh, to see where things are going and what we might need to, to alter or change. So I was not familiar with the popsicle stick method, and I foresee that being useful in many areas of my life, not just in osteoarthritis <laughs> yeah. develop management. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it, it can go in a lot of ways, especially if you have children. Um, that can be helpful <laughs> as well for behavior. <laughs> so many ideas are coming up right now. <laughs> um, so are there any new or upcoming treatments that seem promising in managing uh, dogs with osteoarthritis? 
So there, there are a few. There, there are two that, that I, I see as being beneficial. One of them is an intraarticular injection to hopefully decrease the synovitis. It's the injection of a little radionucleotide. But one of the other big ones at play is going to be this anti-nerve growth monoclonal antibody therapy. And this is really cool because the goal is to help reduce nerve growth factor within the joint um, to help minimize pain not only at the joint, but to also reduce the contribution of nerve growth factor leading to maladaptive pain. And the goal there is, is to hopefully, you know, look more at a molecular driven therapy. And, and again, that's going to be allowing us to take a, a very targeted specific approach. And while this concept of maladaptive pain is, is a new concept and, and we're learning so much about it and the anti-inflammatories play a role, if we can add in something else such as a, uh, uh, monoclonal antibody therapy to maybe reduce certain things in the joint like nerve growth factor, hopefully we can also have an even more compounded effect to decrease that that uh, maladaptive pain, which in turn is going to hopefully decrease central sensitization, which in turn is going to hopefully lead to more comfortable patients, which in turn will hopefully lead to their ability to maintain range of motion, stay active and maintain a lean body weight, and we can keep them comfortable. And kind of like you mentioned before, the end point for osteoarthritis is failure of the joint. So any tools that we can have in our toolbox as this progresses to help slow things down and give these pets more, more time with a good quality of life. Oh, I agree 100%. Our whole goal here is management. And I think the key takeaways here are going to be early recognition, understanding this isn't an old dog disease. It's an any age dog disease. So get owners on board, educate them maintain a healthy lifestyle, keeping them fit and trim, keeping them active, maintain range of motion. And if they do have evidence of osteoarthritis, getting pain under control early and just sticking at keeping pain under control. You know, let's stop with the, you know, let's get pain under control and then do nothing. Let's get pain under control and do nothing. How about we get pain under control? We keep it under control. Hopefully we can have a, a greater effect and we can simply just elevate what we're able to offer our, our patients in improving their quality of life. I couldn't agree more. I love that approach. Start early and often and, and keep things under control. Dr. Digas, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast today. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with us? I certainly appreciate the time. It's been great chatting with you. My takeaway message here is going to be weight control, lean and fit, and maintenance of range of motion. Those are the key factors here if, if we can with, with these guys, uh, but it's all about keeping them comfortable. Awesome, thanks again for joining us today. All right, everyone, what did I tell you? Good info? I really hope you guys enjoyed our talk. I'd like to say a big thank you to Dr. Dykus for joining us. Thank you to Zoetis for sponsoring this event and thanks to all of you for joining us. For more episodes like this, click on the Education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this episode, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. <laughs>